0: Hey everybody, it's Brad from the Salvage Title Podcast, and this is a bit of an audio side part, I don't know, really know what you want to call this, addendum, uh, to an article that I wrote uh, called Choosing Your Own $35,000 Dreamliner uh, over on Medium.com. Uh, basically, the roundabout here is I wanted to think about what it means to travel as a family in 2020... With COVID going on, you know we we are in a time where plane travel has been exceptionally affordable, um, relatively quick, obviously very safe, uh, and many many people have been choosing to fly to their family destinations uh, over the past few years instead of doing the usual road trip where everybody piles in the uh, proverbial minivan or family sedan uh, to go visit grandma or to go to Disney World and. Uh, that seems to be changing a bit. Uh, there was an article in the Detroit Free Press talking about how 50% of Americans, uh, at least earlier this spring, were saying that they were going to be strictly traveling via car uh, going forward, and that is uh, the first time it's been that way in a very long time. And with this impending, or I guess I'm say impending, this continued movement towards crossovers, happening, uh, you know, it's probably as good a time as ever to think about what your crossover options are going to be if you're taking a long distance road trip. Uh, so I've kind of created this mythological trip where we're going to be traveling from, uh, where I live in Grand Rapids to Orlando, Florida. It's going to be about a 2,400 mile round trip. Uh, it's going to take two days. To get from Michigan to Florida, unless you are switching captains and driving straight through, uh, which I definitely would not recommend, but, uh, it's a long drive. I've done it. Uh, my family did back-to-back Florida trips, uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s between, uh, my divorced parents, so, uh, we would take my mom's Toyota Camry from Michigan to Panama City Beach, uh, and then we would take one of my dad's Chevy GM C-Safari vans, uh, michigan to orlando and you know road travel back then is very different than what it is today you know you didn't have a cell phone you didn't have an ipad you didn't have uh, a lot of nice things and just the same the rear seat comfort was really not much of a priority in these vehicles they were meant to pack in as much people and stuff as they could and the novel thing about, at least in terms of my mom's Camry at that point in time, is that when we were caravanning with a group of uh, her siblings, we all of our families traveled together, uh, the Camry was able to be the car that was the most quiet, it was the most comfortable, had strong AC, uh, we had a CD player. Uh, and we were able to, you know, really cruise in speed and do double stints in many cases over our family cars, our family members' cars, because, you know, they had these big V6 and V8 engines that were guzzling gas uh, seemingly just as fast as you could put it in. On the flip side, with my dad, you know, taking these vans, you know, there were five five of us total in that family at that point in time, and piling into a short wheelbase uh, Chevy, uh, or GMC, I guess, in that one particular case, uh, it was really going to be the only way that you could fit in everybody's luggage and you could fit in everybody's, uh, you know, bodies in one piece uh, and get to Disney and have a nice week. So what's that like today? You know, the the minivans are not here. Family sedans are gone. It's going to be crossovers. And we've got a lot of new crossovers coming out later this year. And, and actually, they're not going to be too far away. Uh, we've got the new 2021 Hyundai Santa Fe that's got some weird overlaps with the current vehicle. We've got the 2021 Toyota Venza. Uh, that is a import of a Japanese market vehicle called the Harrier. And then we have the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue, which is the vehicle that kind of spurred this whole discussion. So, with this 2,400-mile round trip in question, uh, it's also important to compare this in terms of, you know, what your travel costs are going to be versus what it would cost to hop on an airplane and just get there. Um, I looked up some travel pricing from Grand Rapids to Orlando uh, a couple months out just because, you know, typically that's how things go, and it was about $680 before tax round trip. We won't worry about the tax stuff. Uh, but 680, dollars you know, that's a pretty fair price for a family of four uh, to do a round-trip airfare. I was actually pretty impressed. Uh, doing things with gasoline in terms of these crossovers, uh, we're, we're pricing gas at about $2.10 a gallon, which is currently the national average, and we are assuming that you have to stop at a hotel on the way down and a hotel on the way back. Uh, probably wouldn't want to stay at the uh, Motel 6. You know, offense, but, uh, you know, a nice hotel is going to run you about 200 bucks a night, uh, so we'll kind of stick to that ballpark in price as well. Uh, so, in terms of the contenders, I guess we may as well start with the Hyundai Santa Fe, which we've talked about a bit on the show in terms of news. Uh, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, without a doubt, I think my favorite crossover currently on sale right now. Uh, a lot of that has to do simply with, one, it looks really nice, two, uh, dollar for dollar, pound for pound, uh, you're not going to get a better level of equipment and packaging uh, compared to any other vehicles in its segment. Uh, the weird part about the Santa Fe is that it is technically technically a tweener-sized vehicle, so uh, while on paper it does compete with the Honda CRV and the Toyota RAV4, technically it's larger, they're longer, they're a little bit bigger overall, um, but they... On price. They're actually cheaper than the RAV4 and the CRV. Um, what is interesting about these three that we're going to talk about in this segment, they're actually all fairly similarly sized, which is uh, interesting. There seems to be a new sliver emerging between the compact crossovers and the mid-size crossovers. Uh, so these three kind of all line up in an interesting little way. Uh, but back to the Santa Fe... What we know about this new one is that it is basically taking most of what's in the current vehicle and putting it on a new platform. Uh, so the interior is largely carrying over. It sounds like the mechanical bits are largely carrying over. Um, a few of the panels are carrying over, but for the most part, everything else will be new. Um, there's no word on fuel economy. There's no word on other things, but you can probably assume for the most part, it's going to be roughly the same as what the current model uh, is. So the current Santa Fe, you know, for 28 dollars or so, thousand you get a bevy of really great uh, safety features. You get a really good uh, self-driving, or not really self-driving, but driver assistance package that does really good lane keep, uh, has a really good start-stop, uh, radar cruise control assist, and in the end, you know, might be one of the better things this side of a Tesla or a Cadillac with Super Cruise in terms of alleviating uh, stress and, you know, um, things like that from behind the wheel, especially if you get caught in traffic, because let's just be honest, as somebody who's made this trip down uh, I-75 and other little highway runs, uh, there is a lot of stop-and-go traffic once you get south of Kentucky, so um, that would definitely come in handy. The downside is with the Santa Fe is that, uh, well, the size quotient, yes, it is larger, really kind of depends on what you're into. Um, there is a little more space in the front row. There is a significant amount of extra space in the second row of the Santa Fe, uh, but you end up losing a lot of space in the cargo area uh, with this packaging element, with this thing uh, losing as many as, I think it's like five cubic feet of space compared to the smaller Honda CRV. Um Is that a deal breaker? I think you know, is that a deal baker when it's so much cheaper and you get so much more? I would largely say no, but again, if you're shopping, you know, it's definitely something worth taking into consideration. The other weird thing about the Hyundai is that as cheap as it is and as nice as the high touch areas are, there are definitely parts of the vehicle that look and feel significantly cheaper. Some people might get really worried about it. Uh, I generally think that if you're using this as a family car that's going to get beat up on by kids for years and years, you're going to want those cheap plastic panels on the doors and the lower parts that are just going to get scratched and dented and just gross and, you know, it's really not going to be that big of a deal. The only other real complaint I can think of about the Hyundai is that Hyundai doesn't always put good tires on a lot of their cars, so in the case of the Santa Fe, I'm not remembering specifically what the current one is, but if it doesn't have, you know, something that's a little bit softer, a little bit quieter, um, I think it's really going to make that drive a little... (sighs) <sighs> Drony maybe is a good way to put it, uh, but, you know, considering that you've got this really great infotainment system, you can get this big, beautiful panoramic sunroof, uh, the seats are very comfortable, you've got a ton of legroom, especially in the second row, uh, I think that's all things that you would probably forgive, grand scheme of things. So, if you're taking this thing down to Florida, uh, you know, you're gonna be running about 29 miles per gallon on the highway, obviously, you know, it's gonna change in different things, but, bear with me, we're just going to use the numbers that they give us. Uh, That's going to take more than two stops each way, Uh, so this thing's going to be moving through a lot more fuel, Uh, but you are going to be able to go 545 miles between stops, uh, which is arguably pretty darn good. This thing has a big ass fuel tank to offset the lower fuel economy ratings that it has. Uh, And generally, I think a lot of people say that Hyundai uh, rates their fuel economy a little bit lower than what real world is, so you might be able to go a good bit further than that. Um, So dollar for dollar, I think you know you're in pretty good shape. You're going to be able to really move with this kind of thing, uh, but you know fuel costs for the whole round trip is going to be about 174 bucks at 210 a gallon, and with the two hotel stops a night, you're looking at about 574 dollars. Now compare that to the 680 for the plane trip, at about a hundred dollars difference. You know you really would have to de- kind of determine uh, what. If, if, if that's really going to save you that much time and energy flying, uh, with COVID concerns versus taking the car. Um, I might lean into taking the car with this one just because this is such a big, comfortable, near enough perfect vehicle, uh, but in the end, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit different. I'm definitely very excited to see what the 2021 model changes bring to the vehicle, uh, but, you know, we're still a ways out to know for sure. Now, one that I'm particularly excited that's going to be coming later this year, uh, is the 2021 Toyota Venza. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of the old Venza, uh, that has been gone now, I think, for, what, uh, four or five years now? Uh, that Venza was based on the Toyota Camry. It was basically a really tall Toyota Camry wagon. Um, it still rode pretty low, but, like, the overall height of the vehicle was quite high and the Venza just never really found a home in the segment. Uh, Toyota was kind of ahead of the game on the crossover thing. This was kind of meant to be a competitor to the Ford Edge, but the Ford Edge looked more like an SUV, and the Venza just never really quite clicked with folks. Uh, This new Venza is basically a direct import of the Japanese market Harrier uh, from Toyota, and if that name sounds familiar beyond, you know, the military fighter jet. Uh, The Harrier was the vehicle that eventually spawned the Lexus RX 300 in the late 90s. Uh, The Harrier and the RX eventually split quite a bit, um, but some of the Lexus-style elements, uh, design materials, uh, infotainment, all that stuff are still visible in the Harrier, and this new uh, version that we're going to be getting really seems like a significantly upmarket vehicle compared, uh, to the Hyundai Santa Fe and the Nissan Rogue that we're going to mostly talk about in this thing. And, uh, you know, I think depending on where your priorities are at, uh, that might be a very smart thing to choose. Uh, the Venza is, because it's going to be a little more premium, is going to be a little more expensive. Uh, I did some direct comparison in terms of uh, the Japanese market Harrier to what we are going to be getting in the United States, and the base trim Harrier with the hybrid, uh, the electric hybrid system, we're going to be getting a standard all-wheel drive uh, hybrid in the U.S., runs about 3.8 million yen, which converts to about 35500 Now, prices in Japan include tax and other things like that, so you're probably going to be looking in the low $30,000 range to start. Uh, Toyota's going to be, of course, packing in the Toyota Safety Sense system, which is a pretty capable uh, safety suite that I think does a really good job for the price. It's not going to be quite at the level of the driver assistance tech that's in the Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, but, you know, for the the money, you know, you're going to be doing pretty well. The other thing is, you know, starting in the low $30,000 range, you're still getting a hybrid. Uh, that's going to be the main thing that separates it from the Santa Fe and the Rogue, where hybrids are not currently lined up to be available, but they're definitely something that Hyundai and Nissan are talking about. So this hybrid system that's in the Harrier and will be in the Venza is borrowed from the Toyota Camry hybrid, so it's the 2.5 liter inline-four matched with the hybrid synergy drive. Uh, It makes a decent amount of power, uh, but those... The, the the gasoline engine and the hybrid drivetrain drive the front wheels and then there is uh, an electronically controlled uh, motor on the rear axle that actuates it as all-wheel drive in certain uh, low traction conditions uh, that system is pretty clever it's very very capable in the Toyota Rav4 hybrid um, it's a little less capable in the new Prius but you know your mileage is really going to vary. Uh, but in the end, you know, it lets them do some smart packaging with this vehicle where, you know, it's kind of, sort of, a tweener-sized thing. Um, it's fairly close in size to the Hyundai Santa Fe. I think it's about an inch or two shorter in overall length, but it is a little bit narrower um, and a little bit shorter in overall height, making it, uh, have a much, in my opinion, sexier, uh, more sporty look, even though the Venza very likely will be a much more boring vehicle to drive. And I think that's where the kind of priorities start getting a little bit weird for the Venza. Uh, You know, it's gonna have much more plush materials, it's gonna have much more uh, stylish things done to it, and as much as that's going to be very nice and very comfortable and likely very quiet, uh, this is not going to be a very engaging thing uh, long term. Uh, I think if this is going to be if you're looking for a weekend warrior in addition to a long distance cruiser, uh I think the weekend warrior title is going to go to a different vehicle. Um but it is like a day-to-day car to use driving to work, maybe picking up your friends to go up to, out to dinner. Uh the Venza makes a good case for itself and I think the Venza really kind of caters more to older kids, teenagers and above. Um whereas, you know, something like the Santa Fe, you know, if you've got much younger children, uh, they they are probably going to work a little bit better in that kind of environment, just being spaced out a little bit more and having a little bit more room to kind of wiggle around uh, in that second row. But, you know, the great thing about the Venza, like I said, is that it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid across the board. No matter what, you're getting the hybrid system set up. And Toyota is currently saying that they are getting a 40 mile per gallon estimate in terms of fuel economy. Now, of course, hybrids typically are much more fuel efficient in the city than they are on the highway, so it's hard to say where exactly that's going to be at. Uh, The other hard thing to determine is what the fuel tank size is going to be, so I pulled the fuel tank out of the old uh, Japanese Harrier, which is about the equivalent of 15.8 gallons. So at 40 miles per gallon, you're only going to use 60 miles of fuel round trip, which is only going to cost in total $154. So that's 20 bucks less for the round trip compared to the Hyundai, Uh, but you're going to be stopping much less frequently. It's going to be just uh, over three stops total for the round trip, which is really pretty fantastic. Uh, Being able to go pretty much the whole way to Florida, stop once, spend your time in Florida, get most of the way back to Michigan, stop once, and then you're home. Uh, That's, that's pretty darn good. Um, So that's, that's an upside. You know, if you're not, if you're not willing to spend a lot of time at gas stations and be creeped out by, well, whoever's hanging out at gas stations, uh, you know, that's definitely an upside. And, you know, the where I really kind of faltered with the Venza a little bit is just, you know, it seems like a vehicle that is catering to a very specific subset of a subset of people that would land in this size and shape of crossover in the same way that the previous Venza did. It's really about style, it's about, you know, higher quality materials, better build quality. It's gonna come at a higher price. And if you're willing to spend the money, you're probably gonna be treated much better long term. Um, but you know, if not, the other two might be much better options. Now, the vehicle that did spur this whole thing is of course the 2021. Nissan Rogue. Uh, We've known for a while that a new Rogue is coming. The current one feels like it's been around for a decade. It hasn't quite been that. But uh, the current Rogue, when it first came out, really felt like a groundbreaking vehicle. It had some... Of the uh, attributes that were taken from the Ultima with which it was based on. So I had the zero-gravity seats up in the front row. Uh, I had the really cool 360 degree uh, camera system so you could get an idea of what was around you when you were parking and maneuvering. Uh, and they had, you know, just a lot of really interesting choices made in the overall shape of the vehicle. It was very tall, but it was kind of narrow, but it was also very long, and so you could really comfortably fit a family of four. You could eventually get an optional third row, Um, but with that cargo area not really, you know, messed with, it was over 40 cubic feet of space, which is absolutely massive uh, for the size and segment that it was in. The hard part was that while Nissan came out really strong with the Rogue, they didn't update it very well over time, and when the new RAV4 and the new CRV both debuted, they just wiped the floor with it. And so Nissan has been you know, holding on with their fingernails and teeth at this point. And, uh, well, it's time to do the right thing. Uh, you know, I, I would say that in the style category, the Rogue is probably the most basic of the three that we've discussed. Um, it's definitely pretty generic Nissan styling, so if you've ever seen a Nissan Altima, grab the tire pump and inflate it, uh, up by, you know, 120 PSI, and you've got a pretty good idea of what the, what the Rogue looks like. It's, It's not unattractive, it's not going to ruffle any feathers, um, but, you know, it doesn't have the sexy shape that the Venza has, and that's a little bit disappointing. That being said, moving into the interior, uh, especially on the new platinum trim model, uh, the Rogue is going to be a really, really nice place to be. It looks like it's got some really high-quality leather materials. It's going to have some really great infotainment options, uh, and there will be some really wonderful safety and driving assistance tech that's really going to push the envelope, I think, for this segment. To me, Nissan really seems to be honing in on the idea that this is going to be a family vehicle that's going to be used not just for trips to Meyer, not just for, you know, trips to soccer practice. This is going to be a vehicle that you're going to be taking, you know, on trips all the time. This This is a full-out airplane replacement going forward. And as much as I really applaud them for some of the design decisions that they've made on this thing. Um there's still not a whole lot that we know about it. We still don't know exterior dimensions, we don't know cargo capacity. Um but they have kind of said, well, you know, we're we're taking basically what we've already known that works and just improving it. And, you know, I guess kudos to them for being honest about what they're doing. Uh but in the end, that also creates a lot of questions and, ultimately, problems as well. Uh, namely, you know, it being a Nissan, uh, reliability, I think, is the big, big, you know, sword of Damocles uh, for this entire brand. Uh, they basically carry o- the, carried over the two and a half liter inline four. Uh, it's still making right around 200-ish horsepower, um, but it's still mated to that Xtronic CVT uh and Nissan has said that they have improved the CVT to be more reliable. Uh they have said that from the Altima a few years ago up until now with each of their product launches. Uh but the reality has been with this Xtronic gearbox is that you know the thing blows apart after 60,000 miles or you, you make it to 100,000 miles and you have to do some pretty significant maintenance to keep your car on the road and that is just not the kind of thing that you want to have for a family vehicle because if you're putting these kinds of miles on it that's going to be a lot of stress on that unit and you know you don't want to be left on the side of the road now that's not to say that this Nissan's going to be unreliable out the gate I think if you're just leasing it for 3 years and then you're dumping it back at the dealer and getting another whatever you get from a Nissan dealer, uh, you know, I think you're going to be in good company. And in fact, you know, Nissan does some really great lease incentives with these things that you can get a very well-equipped Rogue for less than $200 a month before tax uh, with only a grand or so down. And at that rate, you know, for something like this that's going to be really great for your family, if you're comfortable with leasing every three years, I really don't feel like that is a bad idea, but if you're buying this thing with the intention of putting, you know, 10 years and 200,000 miles on it, uh, this is not going to be the vehicle to choose out of the three. Um, But, you know, I did mention that they are bringing in some really nice other features that I think are worth mentioning. So, uh, the... Uh, foam seats from the front, the zero-gravity seats, uh, are going to also be standard on the second row, so that means that the kids who are riding in the back, or if you've got adults riding in the back, uh, they're going to be... they're in really extreme comfort. Uh, I got used to these seats driving a uh, Nissan Altima some pretty long distances uh, one year in Florida as a rental car, and uh, they are a game-changer. As somebody who has a bad back, uh, they... They are absolutely phenomenal, they are supportive, they are great for commuting, and, you know, even if you're not the one driving, you know, you're in the second row, that is going to be absolutely magnificent, you know, putting 2,400 miles under your butt. uh, You're going to feel pretty refreshed getting out at each pit stop. The other interesting thing that they're doing is uh, making ProPilot Assist available on a wider number of trims. Uh, Historically, it has only been uh, an option on the SV, standard on the SL. Uh, This is now going to be a package that'll be available on all trim levels of the Rogue going forward. Uh, One thing that is not entirely clear is how that will work uh, with one of their new features. Uh, basically, uh, ProPilot Assist is going to be working with a GPS tracking system uh, that'll basically pre-slow down your vehicle. Uh, and if there's traffic ahead, uh, it'll mind corners ahead of time with the uh, lane keep assist. Um, ultimately, it's going to be using you know the internet of things to make your driving experience that much better in stop-and-go traffic, uh, long distances, you know, really give you much more peace of mind, a little bit more comfort uh, having that kind of system interact with you. And Propilo Assist, I think, is generally considered to be one of the better um, assistance systems out there. I think Hyundai has kind of stepped ahead of them a little bit uh, with their ability to do lane-keep assist, um, but Nissan, you know, for the whole, It's a pretty good unit, uh, and considering that they do make it available on these lower price trims, uh, really, I think, helps a lot to make the Rogue a pretty interesting and good choice. So, uh, with that 2,400 mile loop, uh, kind of basing it on the current Rogue, since they're mechanically very similar and the size difference isn't going to be super, uh, super huge, uh, well, it's a little less good. Uh, the Rogue does get the best fuel economy that's not a hybrid out of this group at about 32 miles per gallon, uh, but the outgoing Rogue has a really teeny tiny fuel tank. Uh, so... Full to dry, you're going to be running about 464 miles, which is 91 miles short of the Hyundai in one fill-up, and 170 miles short of the Toyota. So, while you are getting a really good fuel economy, you're going to be stopping more frequently, and uh, that is going to be a particularly annoying thing. Uh, I had a Toyota a while ago that had a, you know, fairly fuel-efficient engine, not so big, or sorry, it wasn't my Toyota, it was my Ford, excuse me. My Ford, you know, had a very fuel-efficient engine. If I drove it nicely, I could get, you know, 35 to 40 miles per gallon, no problem. But with a 10-gallon fuel tank, uh, you really couldn't go that far uh, compared to, say, my dad's pickup truck that he had at the time. Uh, You know, he was getting 19, 21 miles per gallon, but, you know, he had a huge tank and he could do like I mentioned a lot earlier, almost double stints compared to my Ford if we were going to be traveling side by side. And it gets annoying. And there's a part of me that goes, well, you know, that kind of works out. If you're traveling with a family, you know, people are going to have to pee. And if you can only go 464 miles, you know, that's a few hours in the car at a time between stops. You know, you're supposed to stop every, what, three hours, I think, is the recommendation in most of these cases. Um, You know, that works out a little bit better. But, on a long trip like this, man, that's going to really get annoying, and it's going to make that trip that much longer, especially if each stop takes, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour. You know, you're really burning time in the very end. Uh, but in terms of actual fuel costs, you're looking at about $158 for the round trip, which isn't too bad, and the total cost uh, with the hotels and everything would be 558 So you'd be saving about $122 compared to flying uh, that American Airlines flight. And at that point, you know, again, is that saving you a ton of money? Is that saving you a ton of effort? I don't really know. You know, that's something that you would have to think about. But, you know, with those foam seats in the back, I might be a little bit more inclined to just take the Rogue. That's just me. But again, you know, I don't know. So kind of summing things up. On which one I would spend my thirty to thirty five thousand dollars on, uh in third place, I'd probably say the rogue just because the reliability quotient is kind of a mystery. We don't really know how good or bad it's gonna be. Um there's still a lot of details to come, um but I'm very excited for Nissan to have a vehicle that appears to be catering to a very specific type of family and family activity. um, I really think that this is going to be a really good long-distance cruiser, and if you're leasing it, I think it's really going to make a lot of, uh, you know, it's really going to make a case for itself. But if you're looking to own it for 10 years or more, uh, I just would generally say stay away. Finishing in second, I think, was a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, I actually ended up going with the Hyundai. Uh, The Hyundai, you know, It's still my favorite crossover that's on sale now. Um, I think it will likely probably remain that uh, when the new version comes out later this year. Um, But in this comparison of the three, at least on paper, I just don't really feel like it has it compared to the Toyota. And what this really kind of came down to was how much quality, refinement, and comfort play into things. And it's not to say that the Hyundai will be any less comfortable than the Toyota, but what it really boils down to is, you know, long-term, if you bought a Toyota versus the Hyundai, it's going to be worth more. You're going to be able to put 250,000 miles on it and really not think about it, and as much as the Hyundais are so much better in terms of reliability, so much better in terms of quality, uh, the resale values still aren't there, you know, Um, but yeah, that's really kind of splitting hairs. So. I think really just the top thing is, you know, with the Toyota, if you can justify spending the extra, you know, five to $7,000 more that it would be compared to a Rogue or a Hyundai Santa Fe, I think it's genuinely the way to go. You know, there's a reason why Toyotas cost more. There's a reason why uh, they resale for more. And it's because they're reliable. They're dependable. uh, Their systems don't change that much. The parts inside don't change that much. Uh, They just don't break. And that really, I think, is the thing to shout from the Himalayan mountaintop uh, about the Venza, is that it's not going to break, it's not going to give you trouble, it's going to be really comfortable and cushy and quiet, unlike the other two. Uh, That, you know, I think, ultimately, lets it kind of sort of walk away with the win. And obviously, the hybrid technology is a whole other part of it, just because, you know, this hybrid technology has been around for more than 20 years now at this point, and the number of Toyota Highlander hybrids that I see for sale around me here in West Michigan that have 300,000 or more miles on them uh, is just insane. Like, these things will last forever, and I think that is just a good business case on picking this over the other two. So, uh, with all that in mind, yeah, um, I hope that was something interesting to think about and discuss. Uh, if you've got any comments, feel free to drop them, uh, here at, uh, anchor.fm slash Title. You can also do it on Medium as well, and you can, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm, uh, at Y-S-S-M-A-N on Twitter. Um, you can always search out my name as well, Brad like uh, I'm I'm many, many different places. Uh, Maybe tomorrow we'll do a more genuine news episode of the show, uh, just because uh, there's some interesting things to kind of talk about that have kind of been trickling out. Uh, So, yeah, with all that in mind, guys, uh, I hope uh, you have a great rest of your week, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh,